podcast one production. When I was pregnant with my firstborn, Lockie, Super Nanny, that old TV show, was doing reruns. And so I series linked three whole seasons of it. It must have been about 30 episodes. And when I was on the couch, breastfeeding, sleeping, eating, I was just watching. I watched all three seasons of Super Nanny and I just found it riveting. Like her methods or hate her methods, that was irrelevant. What I loved was being the fly on the wall of these people's families and seeing these dynamics. And sometimes I'd look at those women and think, can't you see why these kids are behaving that way? But then on the flip side, I'd also look at them and understand how hard it is to make changes and how ingrained they are and how intuitively we like to parent. But I also saw the impact of positive change on their lives and I just found it so encouraging. This is Healthy Her with Amelia Phillips. Have you ever wondered what goes on behind closed doors of family homes when it comes to parenting styles? Sometimes I feel more like the super cruisy mom or the relaxed, you know, easygoing mom. But then when I tell my friends that, they laugh and tell me that I'm way more of a sergeant general. Of course, there's no right or wrong and we're all very unique. But it does turn out that there are some common parenting styles which can all impact our kids and our life in different ways. Many of us are not even aware of the way that we parent. It's just so subconscious and innate. Well, two childhood behaviour specialists and teachers are Australia's answer to Super Nanny. Angela and Donna started Back on Track Consulting five years ago. And just like Super Nanny, but much, much nicer, they would go into homes, observe how families interacted, and then facilitate and coach change in the parents where it was needed. The business has now expanded to workshops, and I'm really keen to get their perspective on the different parenting styles they've observed. You know, how do they impact both the mum and, of course, the kids as well? We're also going to find out how we can learn to find our own unique style without putting too much pressure or judgment on how we parent. Hi, ladies. Thanks so much for coming on today. Hello. How are you? Thank you. Donna, tell me how your business started and where it evolved. Okay. It was fascinating, actually. Angela and I worked together in our local preschool for many years together. So I guess we're, we're good friends as well as work colleagues. Um, we were finding that we were supporting the children just as much as we were supporting the parents that we were teaching. We would have parents coming in saying, is it normal that my child's not listening to me? Or is it normal that they're not eating their, the right food at, at meal times? What can I do about that? So all these questions kept coming up. And we thought, well, we do have the ability to help here. So we decided to start this business. And it first took us into homes. And it was just by word of mouth that we started to get more business rolling on, rolling on. And I think it's our easygoing sort of attitude. And we have no judgment and our practical skills. And, you know, we make it simple um, and attainable, all of these these sort of tips and strategies. And then we had um, a newspaper contact us and say to us, you know, we found out that you're doing this. Can we do an article? And they came up with the um, Australian super nannies with less attitude. And we thought that was really funny because we do have attitude. Oh, that's <laughs> um, hysterical. I, I love know. that. <laughs> but, you know, I love Jo Frost. I absolutely love what she does. 
I love her series on television, but we don't align ourselves with what she does. I think we have a more practical sort of um, perspective on parenting and our, our views are very different to what she does. So we look at age-appropriate expectations and that's really important to us because we are teachers. We come from um, really simple child development. So we want to make it simple. Parents aren't born with a handbook. So to not have this handbook um, and you go on Google and you find all this information and it's so overwhelming and so we're just trying to bring it all back. This series is all about how mums can lead healthier, happier lives, which tends to have a halo effect over everyone around us, including our beloved kids. How does effective parenting help support mums and kids to be healthier and happier? Yeah, it's interesting you say that um, because obviously that comes up an awful lot when we were doing in-home consultations, but also comes up a lot through our workshops as well. Um, What we find and what we need to remind mums of is that you guys are your child's first educator and your child's watching you for cues on what happens in the world and how the world operates. Um, And they're looking for you for cues and social cues and mood cues and all these sorts of things. And I think if you're a happy, healthy mum yourself, you're going to have happy, healthy children because you're role modelling that behaviour to your children, okay, and you're setting the tone with your family. So we often talk in our workshops about um, if you wake up in the morning and you're not having a particularly good day, by the middle of the morning you're feeling like your kids are ganging up on you (laughs) and they're out to get you and everything's wrong and there's no silver lining in anything that's happening and you get really frustrated with your children Sometimes we need to look more internally and think, hang on a minute, maybe I set the tone today. Maybe I need to lift my spirits and I need to, you know, show my children that I'm in a better mood and then the mood will lift. Um, And Donna and I often talk about when you're feeling like that, get outside and get some fresh air. Get out, get moving, get your kids moving. Kids need to move. They don't want to sit in front of the television and watch I mean, they do want to sit and watch television, but it's not the best thing for them. It's not the healthy thing for them. So get outside and you'll find that if you get out and take your kids for a walk or go down to the local park or go for a scooter ride, that everybody's mood will lift and the rest of the day will continue on in a much better frame of mind. But I also think as mums, we just need to be mindful um, that we do set the tone in our home. It's such a good point because I can remember times where I drive home from work and I've had a really rough day and I'm crossing my fingers going, please be a good night tonight. Please make it be a good night. And of course, I walk in and slam the the handbag down on the <laughs> mm-hmm. bench and that straight away sets the tone. Sets and, the tone. and, you know, mm. often my husband will say to me, they were fine until you got home. Yes, we hear that all the time. <laughs> and the other Ouch. way around too. The kids were fine until you got home, honey, too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, absolutely. They, yeah. He can off. walk in mm. with a big dark cloud over his shoulders as That's well. That's right. And it's hard to leave it at the door. But I think we always recommend that if you can leave it at the door, especially if you're walking in late, you really do just have to get through dinner, bath and bedtime. And How then, hard can that be? I Come know. on. <laughs> the witching hour. How hard could it be? <laughs> oh, dear. Well, it's, I'm really keen to actually get your biggest learnings from being a fly on the wall. I don't know if I'm a voyeur, but I just it, it would be fascinating to have been in the amount of households that you've been in. Of all these families, what would you say are the commonalities that make your heart sing? The, com- oh. the most common things that you see mums are really nailing. Yeah, Um The commonalities that I see, and it really makes my heart sing, is that every parent wants to do the best for their children. By the time they come to us, they realise that 
they want something to change and they want the very best for their children. And I guess them knowing that, um, I will do anything to help people who want to help themselves and help their children. And that's what I see over and over again. They want to give them everything, you know, every opportunity. They want to give them every ability to have academics, um, socialising, all of those things. And that really does make me sing. Like, I think that's wonderful. Um, I think uh, mums are so selfless, but I also see a really big influence that the dads have now stepped up. I shouldn't say just stepped up. They've been stepped up for a long time, really, but they really do contribute to the household too. And I love seeing that. They do come together and work together. So I think that is a is something that really does make my heart sing. One thing, though, that can backfire in this situation is that sometimes it's an overplayed strength and sometimes something like that can cause parents to step in and not let children fail or not let them, you know, have the ability to um, hurt themselves. Why does wanting the best for your child make a mum, why does that backfire? Can you explain that? I think that um, when you want the very, very best for your children, that is a wonder, wonderful thing, right? It's the best thing ever. But sometimes if you overplay that strength, if you overplay it and you stop your child from failing or you stop them from falling or you stop um, something going wrong, then you're actually not setting your child up with a life skill. And these life skills are what we want to provide parents with the opportunity to give children that because we will often say, you know, the question we ask people are, what type of adult do you want your child to be? And sometimes it's like for the happiness of now is not giving a child the right skills for the future. So in that regard. It can kind of backfire. It can. Angela, what about some of the traps that you've observed that mums can fall into when you've gone into homes? What are some of the common I don't want to use the word mistake, but I'm just going to say habits or dynamics. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because when we um, transitioned from doing the in-home consultations into doing workshops, it was obviously a lot of the information we'd use from our childcare experience, but also from our in-home consultations. And the same themes kept popping up. Um, Often it's my child's not listening to me. When I say no, they negotiate with me and then I give up and I just give them what they want. And as Donna was just saying, we can't spend our parenting pleasing our children all the time, they need to understand that no is a complete sentence sometimes and it doesn't need an explanation and it's not up for negotiation, okay? Because that's actually a life skill. That's something you will take through as an adult, okay? But we also suggest um, with parents that they choose their battles with their children based on their values, okay? So if something's really important to you and it's about your values as a family, that's a battle worth fighting, okay? But if it's not, let it slide and don't get hung up on it because it's not doing you, you any, any favours and it's not doing your child any favours. But what we also found was in a lot of homes is the children were ruling the roost. Okay, mum and dad felt like they'd lost control. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that feeling before. Yeah, I, uh, all, I, I've heard that ringing in my ears many times. <laughs> so we, we've walked into homes where there isn't a um, particularly well-established routine. So the children feel safe and secure if there's an established routine, which really helps with behaviour. So if you're having behavioural issues, having a really good routine really helps. And I'm not saying it has to be a regimented by-the-clock routine, but a general uh, routine that makes your child feel safe 
and not worrying about what's going to happen next. Um, the other thing we found that there was a lot of negotiating going on, grown women negotiating with two-year-olds. Um, you're never going to win. I always say that if a, if a mum's looking for a new career, you just need to get into hostage negotiation yes. because <laughs> a sure. mum can negotiate out of <laughs> any situation except that with a two-year-old. And you'll never win with a two-year-old. <laughs> no. So our recommendation there is to not argue with the two-year-old in the first place and just ignore a lot of that behaviour because it's actually very normal for them to be um, pushing the boundaries and trying to work out where they fit in the world because they still are really babyish and they don't have any experience. Okay, and I think sometimes we need to remember, especially with young children, and it probably relates well to teenage children as well, they're learning, they've got an L plate on and they're actually learning and it's our job to teach it. So we can't expect them to know what we're thinking and how things are meant to be done if we haven't experienced, they haven't experienced and exposed, been exposed to it. So I want to circle back to, you mentioned a moment ago about a key issue that you saw was that mum saying, my kids aren't listening to me. Mm. How do you coach? What would you say to a mum that says they're not listening? Well, I'd like to answer this one. <laughs> Go, Donna. <laughs> <laughs> um, I often have parents who, are, they'll drop off at childcare and they'll say, oh, I said it 30 times. I could say it over and over and they just didn't listen. How do you get them to listen? And I'll say to them, well, first of all, you've got to go find them. You can't be yelling out from another room because they're not listening. So you need to go and find them in the house. They're probably in their bedrooms. Go and find them. Once you've found them, get down to their level on eye contact, hold their hands really gently and say, okay, we need to get your shoes on. We need to get the bag packed and we need to get into the car. Okay. And then you ask them if you want to, could you repeat what we're we're about to do and then make it into a bit of a game. Okay. Ready, set, go. Let's do this. And make it a little bit enjoyable. But once you've got eye contact and once you've got their attention and they will listen to you and they will hear you, I had to laugh the other day. It's often said that children only listen to the first four or five words that you say and everything else is white noise. So you've got to be very careful on choosing those four words. (laughs) So it makes it very difficult. (laughs) I have to tell you about a mummy fail I did last night on this topic. Uh, Dinner was in the oven and they were desperate for a swim. So they all um, had a quick swim. And then I was like, dinner's ready, dinner's ready, get out of the pool. No one was listening. No one would get out of (laughs) the pool, including my husband, I might add, who was in there with them. Um, and so I knew, cause my kids are a bit competitive. I knew Charlotte's got her favorite princess towel. So I stood there with the towel and I said, the first person out of the pool gets the princess towel and bang, they all bolted out of the pool. Charlotte didn't get the princess towel. Another kid did massive meltdown from Charlotte. And I then had to spend the next 15 minutes dealing with this epic meltdown. So <laughs> mummy fail there. How old's Charlotte? Five. Five. Epic meltdowns at five. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> we better not turn this into a, a, a personal, uh, no, no, a personal session here, otherwise we might be here all day. Oh, dear. But, yeah, I did realise that maybe swapping, uh, you know, competition for, um, you know, an order, it was probably not the best. I didn't really set them up for success. No. In that, you, in that circumstance, you probably didn't, but making yeah. it a game would have made it a little bit more fun. Yeah, maybe just um, not a competitive game yeah, where someone also, loses. You also Ooh. need to remember that you're competing over the noise of the swimming pool and when kids are in the pool and they're making all that noise, they can't hear you anyway. So you might have been better off going out there and turning on some music or, or turning the alarm on on your phone and actually yes. startling them and then saying, OK, dinner's ready. Good point.
we've all got different parenting styles. Even Tim and I do. I mean, you know, sometimes in the heat of the moment, you know, he'll say black and I'll say white and it just, it feels so different. So how can we weave our core values in regardless of whether we are more structured or more relaxed in our parenting style? Okay, this is a good question Um, because it is difficult because we meet our partners and we fall in love and it's all very lovely. And I don't think we discuss anywhere when we're dating and courting and getting married and doing all those normal things that we do about our values when we're going to have children. So what often happens is you fall pregnant and you're having your first baby and then all of a sudden you think, oh my goodness, we haven't even talked about this. Um, It's a really good time to talk about it when you're pregnant. You know, what's important to you? What's important to me? How can we make this work together? Are we going to parent differently? Can we maybe agree to disagree on a few things? You can do it your way and I'll do it my way. Okay, it is a discussion that has to happen. It's a discussion that doesn't happen often. We also recommend with families when they are well into the swing of parenting and they've got their second or third child and they still haven't really sat down with their partner and discussed it, it's probably a really good time to make a a, um, booking at a local restaurant take your pen and paper with you with your um, pre-written ideas of what your values and what's important and sit down and nut it out away from the children and come up with a strategy. Because with parenting, what we find is being consistent with each other is the key to success. What are some of those values that you would see on a piece of paper? Can you give me some examples? If you were to take your partner out to dinner and say, I've written down what I think is important with our parenting values, what would they be? Well, often um, we, because we do pose these questions to families, what are your values? Because we often help them nut these sort of things out. Um, A lot of them, parents just want their children to be happy, but you can't instill happiness in children. So broad as well. It is so You can't broad. really apply that to, well, what does it actually mean at dinner time? Exactly. Yeah. And, and manners. You know, manners are always important. I think manners should be on everybody's list. Um, I think manners are, you get a long way in life with manners. Um, but again, I'm not sure that's really a core value of how you want your children to be raised. Do you want them to be hardworking? Do you want them to be independent? Do you want them to be resilient? because that's very important as well, um, having that independence and that resilience. Do you want to bring them up in a religious setting? Often you might marry someone that's from a different um, religion and until you have children, you don't even discuss schooling. And then all of a sudden, one of the partners is insisting on a Catholic school education and the other, other partner's gone through the public school. You know, you need to discuss these things. What are you happy with? What are you happy to let go? Routine, bedtime, you know, all those sorts of things. Are you going to share the role? Are you going to both do breakfast together? Are you both going to make the lunches together? Or is it going to be one person's role? Who's going to do the dropping off and the picking up for kindergarten? Who's going to leave work early to do the drop off or the pick up? Are we going to alternate? Or is it going to be one person's job? Because these are the things that get into you and get under your skin. Oh, I feel like I'm doing it all the time. I'm not getting any help. I'm doing everything. Well, here's an interesting thing. As a kind of quite routine based person myself, I love the idea of a list and I could, you know, I'd love to write the the family values and then maybe the house rules as well. But what about for the mums listening that are a, a bit more relaxed and cruisy? They might be hearing all those things that you're saying, just going, are you kidding me? Like that just all sounds too regimented. Too regimented, How do yeah. you deal with those more relaxed mums but also creating that framework? Is it doable? I think there's a fine line between being regimented and um, organic, I think you have to be a little bit of a mix. But for the organic parent, they need to be able to have a routine to set their children up for success. It could be a very relaxed routine. It doesn't have to be rigid, but they need to have something because children 
as we know, they feel safe and secure in a routine. And if you're talking about behaviour and what we do, we are talking about promoting positive behaviour in children and that's the way you're going to receive positive behaviour, by having a routine and setting them up for success, knowing what's about to happen. We often find that parents have either got very, very high expectations on their children or very, very low expectations on their children. So the parents that have the high expectations are actually setting their children up to fail because their children are not going to be able to achieve that. Can you give me an example of high expectations? Oh, I can give you lots of examples of high expectations. There's a few things we didn't (laughs) want to talk about today, so I'm not going to mention those ones. But um, just developmentally, um, let me think... um, Oh, no, I'm not going to say it. It wants to come off my tongue, but I've been told I'm not allowed to talk about that. Um, <laughs> oh, now you have to talk <laughs> about it. Now you do. I'm, right, I'm, I'm wondering too. I didn't want to say it today because it comes up in every workshop we do and we're going to try and avoid well, the topic. Well, then let's talk about Toilet it. training. All right. I oh, know, what's boring. taboo about toilet training? Well, there's parent-led toilet training and there's child-led toilet training, Right. Children will show signs of toilet training when they're ready to toilet train. It's not about whether you're ready to toilet train your child. It's about when your child's ready. So often parents are setting their children up to fail with toilet training because they're not actually waiting for those cues to happen. So then they end up with a three and a half year old who has never been toilet trained because they started doing it at 18 months. So they're setting their child up to fail. It's not age appropriate to do it at 18 months. The child's not ready. So for parents to look for those cues um, and those indicators that the child's ready will mean that toilet training will happen in a fortnight period as opposed to three and a half years later. Okay. And then some other examples for older age groups of high expectations. Are we talking about things like being the top of their class in uh, ability to read? So that plays out by being more demanding and suddenly, you know, reading time isn't enjoyable because there's pressure. So we talk a lot to teachers and teachers are saying, do not put pressure on children for reading. Do not put it. It's an enjoyable experience. We all do it to relax and it is an enjoyable experience. And we want to make sure that children feel that too. So... Um, everyone gets to the same level by a certain age. So we hear about these reading levels at school and they can become nasty. So, you know, we've just got to be relaxed. If a child doesn't want to read, sit them in your lap and read to them, make it a positive experience and make it enjoyable. So that's parents that have a high expectation on their Correct. kids. So with parents that have low expectations or organic. Organic or free range, depending on how you want to look at it, they're actually not giving their child any expectations at all. So they're non-existent. So a child's got nothing to strive towards, no expectations or boundaries to work within. They're just parenting themselves. Okay, so they're not given um, enough guidance to actually set them up for a successful future. Okay, is that the same as being kind of disengaged? Well, I think disengaged is a little bit more... um, I hate to say it, but I think neglect. (laughs) Okay. All right. So, Uh, yeah. So what you're referring to, Angela, um, in the organic is more around that kind of more relaxed with the low expectations as opposed to, you know, being a bit more on the serious side. And I think they're they're expecting four-year-olds to have the life experience to be able to make the decisions for themselves. And they think that, you know, that child can, I'll just work with them and I will go with their lead. But they're only four they're four-year-olds. They've only had four years' experience in this world, whereas we've had, you know, 30, 40, 50, 50. <laughs> years' experience, whatever it may be, you know, and we can actually use those worldly experiences that we have to help a child. So we've got these different parenting styles. What if you're the sort of mum that doesn't really want to, doesn't want to have the house rules and doesn't want to be that stickler for the rules, but, you know, they probably need 
some form. How do you help um, marry the two together? They've actually got to decide um, that they're ready to change because if it's working for them, let them, you know, that's okay. You know, a, a parent who wants that relaxed form, it's working for them, there's no issues, then go with it. Okay, it's the ones who are having the relaxed parenting, no routine, but are getting really stressed out, are getting really worried that their children are ruling the roost and they're running the household. They're the ones that probably need to then say, well, okay, I need to maybe adjust a little bit here. And they're the ones who then will seek the help. Mm. I also think we're coming from a perspective where we're um, trying to encourage families to think about the future child. So if you're a little bit relaxed with your parenting and there's not a lot of boundaries and there's not a lot of expectation, your child's going to get a real shock when they go into childcare where it's very routine and there's expectations put on them and there's lots and lots of rules. Um, And then they're going to go into school and they're going to get an even bigger shock because they're not going to be prepared for sitting at the desk and doing what the teacher tells them. They're not going to be allowed to wander around the room when they want to wander around the room. They're not going to be allowed to eat when they want to eat. They can't go to the bathroom when they want to go to the bathroom. And they're really going to struggle with um, fitting in when they get to school. And that will probably continue on through their whole schooling, which might result in them not enjoying school. So I think we need to find a happy medium between the two. I think there's times where we can be a little bit more relaxed about things when we're on holidays, maybe when we're out and about with our kids and having some fun with them. But I think if we're then swaying the other way and coming back in and we're coming back home and getting that routine back in place, steady bedtime, steady meal times, um, lots of play and interaction. And what I've observed, which is so encouraging, is how quickly kids and parents can adapt when things aren't going so well. And you talk about these, you know, if they go into daycare and it's a rude shock for them, how you can, like a small change can make a really big positive difference. Would you agree? I agree. I think um, children change very and adapt very quickly. Um, And if you can guide them, they will change. They will um, work out what the new routine is. And especially if you're consistent, and that just keeps coming up this whole podcast, consistency is the key. Mm. Um, Children will thrive on it. Well, what about when you've got conflicting styles between both parents? And for the mums that are sitting here going, yes, yes, we agree and we really want routine and consistency, then dad comes home and cracks open the chips on the couch when they're not meant to be eating chips and they're not meant to be eating on the couch. How do you coach either couples or or singles in those situations? Oh, there has to be a happy medium, I think. Um, Everyone comes to parenting with their own parenting styles and their own parenting views. And as we talked earlier with Angela, they need to get together and communicate these ideas. They need to work out how far are these boundaries going to go because, you know, there's positives in all. There's positives in every way we parent. But as a family unit, we need to come together and make sure it all works together. Resilience is such a buzzword at the moment when it comes to raising kids. Why is it? Why do we hear about resilience? Why is it so important? Um, I can tell you from our perspective why it's really important as teachers, because we have children that come into our care that have no resilience at all. Okay, so you look at them the wrong way and they burst into tears or you say something. And I mean, I had an experience a few years ago where a child had never heard the word no. And I actually said to her, no, no, we can't do that. Um, This is our routine and this is what we have to do. And she burst into tears and threw herself down on the floor because no one had ever said no to her. So she didn't have the resilience and she didn't have the problem-solving skills and she didn't have the ability to adapt to what I was saying. 
because obviously at home, everything was yes, 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 which is fine at home. But as I said earlier, when we go into um, childcare settings and into schools, there are certain rules that are there for a reason and we have to follow them. We want to set children up too to start school and thrive, not just survive. And if you don't have a level of resiliency by the time you start school, then we're not doing the right thing for them. And I feel really sad when I see some children who start school and they don't have that resilience. So when I'm teaching, I am, I, am, I think, the resilience trainer. Mm. And I'm not doing it in a cruel way. I'm doing it as a learning opportunity. And it's really um, important to get children to feel a little tiny bit of stress. Now, I know that sounds cruel, but I'm talking a tiny little bit because then they understand how they feel and how they're going to um, react in that time of feeling stressed. So when I talk about young children, I talk about, you know, a child who keeps coming up to you and saying, mum, 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 and you say, just a moment, I'm talking to my friend, whoever it is, I'm talking, but you're next. So hold their hand. They're now in a little bit of, I really want to talk. I really want to talk. I, what I've got to say is really important. And you're just going to let them wait for just maybe you know, 10 seconds. I'm not talking a lot. You've just put them into that little bit of stress. Then you're going to say, thank you so much for waiting because now it's your turn. So you've given them that positive feedback, that stress is gone, but you've put them into stress. And it's like a training, not to be cruel. It's actually to be kind. So what would a couple of tips to a mum that wants to raise a resilient child be? Yeah, I actually think it starts at age two when a child goes through that me do, me do, me do stage where they want to be independent and they want to do stuff for themselves. They fall and they get back up and they don't cry and they don't get upset about things. They fail at things and it doesn't worry them. Okay, that happens between two and three. And it's how we're reacting to that situation between two and three. When they get to three and four, they'll often fall and look for an adult to see what their reaction is going to be. So if mum's reaction is to drop everything and run over there and make a huge fuss that child's not going to be very resilient. If mum's reaction is, you know what, hun, you're okay, dust yourself off, come over and have a cuddle or I'll come over and give you a cuddle, that child will build a little bit of resilience. So they'll feel that little bit of stress but think, oh, but I'm actually okay. Okay, so it's these little micro changes that they Mm. make. And um, what about for the older age bracket of kids? I mean, are we just basically changing the situation to being in school when, you know, maybe they didn't win the award and someone else won the award? Absolutely. So, I mean, a classic example is that, I mean, school's not a nice place for some children. Um, And if you send a child in that's not very resilient, they're not going to have a good time at school. And they are going to come home and complain about this happened and that happened and this happened. What we need to do as parents is when we're getting that sort of information is we need to turn it around and say, what did you do about it? How could you have changed the situation? Maybe even offer them some strategies that they can use and say, well, next time that happens, you could say to your friend X, Y, Z and and build that resilience up rather than going, oh, you poor thing, that's terrible, I'm going to ring to school. Okay, which happens. And I can tell you, if you ring the school, the school's just going to be like, yeah, we'll look into it and that'll be the end of the conversation. So we need to build that resilience in them so that they can work problems out for themselves. But it also makes them feel empowered and makes their self-esteem better. And teaching children that they're not good at everything. Hmm. Um, you know, we're all good at something, but we're not all good at everything. I remember with my children, I used to say to them, you know, yeah, you're definitely not cheaters, but you're dolphins, okay? You're good at swimming, but you're not good at running. But that's okay because we're going to go to those carnivals and we're going to participate and we're going to have fun. It's going to be great. 
So not just to say to them they're good at everything um, and then, you know, see the world crashing around them. A kind of boosterism I've heard it called before. Ah, We're boostering like them all the time. Yeah. All right, ladies, to wrap up, one final tip from each of you for the mums out there that are feeling like they're parenting pretty well, but yep. they'd like to just get a little bit better control and a handle on their kids and the way they parent, what would be one parting tip that mums could implement? Oh, gee, I think my biggest tip, especially with having three young children under four when I was in that space, um, going outside every day, going out, having a purpose, getting out, getting fresh air, having a physical activity, seeing the world, seeing other people, and um, unfortunately having a really good routine. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that... First, I think you probably need to give yourself a big pat on the back and actually think about all the really good stuff you're doing. Focus on some of the positive things that are happening and feel good about yourself and reward yourself because, you know what, being a parent is hard, but if we can find the good in it, you'll feel better instantly just finding the good. And I think I also will reiterate that consistency is the key to success. It truly is. Routine, consistency, and giving yourself a big old pat on the back. Yep, absolutely. In a nutshell. (laughs) Donna, Angela, thank you ladies so much. It was a fascinating chat. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Healthy Her was presented by me, Amelia Phillips, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Live Proud, sound production by Matt Nikolic. Theme music composed by Matthew Dwyer, executive producer Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au. Download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Healthy Her. And for more tips and insights on this topic, visit my show notes at ameliaphillips.com.au.